This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can head to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and get bonus content multiple times per week. Thank you to everyone who supports the show, and I look forward to meeting more of you soon. Welcome back to the Zero Brightness Resident Evil 8 discussion. This is, of course, part two of two. I assume you've already listened to part one and heard my intro there, so I'll keep this brief. In the second part, we are going to be going over the plot of the game and giving you kind of a beat-by-beat run-through of the second half of the story. Kind of already did the first. I consider these parts sort of to be like medium spoilery, right? Like we still don't really talk about the big twists or the big story ramifications in the game. Um, But we do talk about what happens in the game. And that's the first 60 minutes of this episode. The second 60-ish minutes um, are all detailed plot discussion. We go over everything that happens in the game. We go over the big twist that's in the game. Um, And that's all like heavy, heavy spoilers. So if you're not ready to hear that yet, don't listen to that yet. Seeing as this is the second part of this discussion, I definitely would recommend that you have either already played the game or have already made up your mind whether or not you're gonna play the game, or you're like me and you just don't give a shit about spoilers. Anyway, with that out of the way, enjoy. Yeah, so the third section um, is like a docks, you know? It's kind of like a docks. Uh, and it's very a... Very Crash Bandicoot. Very Crash Bandicoot, you know? Um, and the boss of it is a fish man named Moreau. Yeah, so there's multiple like film references in the people's names, but yeah, like obviously Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, and later Heisenberg? <laughs> but like, I guess it could be a reference to like the scientist but i assume that's a breaking bad reference is that a breaking bad reference yeah because he calls himself heisenberg no i was making a joke oh Oh, i was was basically doing is that a jojo reference but for breaking bad i'm sorry everybody oh i forgot i forgot all about that i just tried to scrub that from my mind because yeah like i said i just 
I really like Roundabout by Yes, and I don't want it associated with anything except for the hit song Roundabout by the 70s and 80s prog rock band, Yes. I think the worst version of that for me is when I want to listen to Red Velvet by Outkast and I type it into Spotify. It doesn't come up because there's literally like 900 K-pop things or something that come up instead. And then I have to specifically go to Stankonia and then like scroll down. I can't just go to track. (laughs) So it's sure. just it's annoying. I hate it. I hate K-pop. Yeah. I don't hate K-pop. I just hate K-pop fans. <laughs> I hate K-pop for that. <laughs> you were you yeah, you're wrong I for know. that one, K-pop. <laughs> um anyway. But yeah, so okay. The funny thing about Moreau, and this part of the game is fine, but when I before I played this game, I was trying to not read too many reviews or anything, but I had seen a couple things where people are saying there's one part of the game that a lot of people didn't like. And while I was playing it, I thought they meant this part. Because I think this is like the most inessential part of this game. I think I could give you that maybe it's not as intentionally designed or like it doesn't it doesn't feel that great. Like it feels a little weird, but I liked it a lot. Okay. I like that it's effectively a platforming stage. I like I I did get annoyed by the platforming puzzle of it Mm -hmm. specifically, but I kind of liked that it's just a gross swamp town Uh where you're you're you don't really fight anything. You are just doing platforming in this game's by this game's rules until you have to fight him. Right. And what I thought was like at least a kind of fun, like a very Resident Evil 4 feeling um, yeah. boss fight to me more than the other ones um yeah but i enjoyed it like i thought aesthetically it was like a really big departure from the prior two areas mm-hmm. i i liked uh ethan's caught me a big one line <laughs> when, when he pulls up the show <laughs> he quipping um i liked to it felt like a little callback to the the swamp or not the swamp but like the lake section of um four yeah you have to fight the big uh fish monster alligator thing it's definitely a lot like resident evil 4 it's definitely very 2005 um but it is also like cool visually like i like the sort of like sunken city sort of look to it you know there's a bunch of stuff like rising up out of this lake there's a big fish monster that you're trying to avoid that can take you down or that can sink things um, it is a lot more exciting because it's in first person with high graphical fidelity, you know, like once again, I think, you know, something that I feel like they were kind of trying to do with this game is make a modern game that's like as exciting now as Resident Evil 4 was then. Um, and I do think that they kind of did a good reinvention of that set piece. But I think this part kind of made me realize that having the game be more open-ended, like so much more open-ended than most Resident Evil games, it does make a part like this that's super linear, like feel a little bit flat. Cause like the, the section before it doesn't feel that way because it's so crazy and weird and exciting and there's puzzles to solve. This one just felt a little bit more flat to me cause yeah, it is just like platforming and then there's a boss fight at the end. It's a good boss fight, but it was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like needed to do all that platforming, and it, it's definitely the part when when you're replaying it that you're kind of like least excited to go back to. 
Yeah, I'm. So in my replay on hard, I'm. I I finally hit the the thing where the chase scenes are really awful because they're faster than you. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if that area is gonna be particularly annoying based on that increase if that applies to to him. And it is a little like hokey because there's kind of no reason he shouldn't be able to just get on the pier thing and get you. So it's a big suspension of disbelief, I guess. But yeah, I thought it was like short enough and direct enough that it was like uh, the, the, the negative parts of it could be overlooked really easily. Yeah. Because I just thought it was goofy as hell and fun it was stupid goofy fun i'd say (laughs) yeah you're just goofy fun heather um yeah and it definitely like i think the first time through any of my frustration with it was just because i didn't know what to do like i didn't know exactly how they wanted me to do the platforming or i didn't know like like the first time that that weird like uh that growth stuff starts popping up but the big like bubbly Mm -hmm. gross things um yeah I thought you had to go around and shoot all of those instead of just like running past them. So I was like going around like shooting them. I was like, man, this is taking a lot of my shotgun ammo. Uh, so it was like second play. Damn. It was good to know. I mean, you can burn through this part. So yeah, it is kind of like my ideal um, in a game that you're planning to replay a bunch that like the part you don't like, you can just beeline through and kind of be done with it. Well, I will say just in case anyone listens to this entire episode and still wants to play the game, you can destroy that stuff with anything because oh, I yeah. thought you had to use pipe bombs specifically. <laughs> I thought you had to blow, like you had to, cl- like you had to breach and clear every pathway that had that on it. I think it was just cool because he he does the thing when you first run into him and you talk to him, where he just like makes a bunch of it start forming around you and he runs yeah. away. Yeah. So I thought it was just a cute setup to go chase him. So I think I was just kind of enthralled from the moment that started. So I, I didn't quite notice all the, yeah. the sadder parts of that area. Yeah, for sure. And he's like an interesting character. Like he's unexpected the first time you see him because he's just like it's really strange, like weird looking fish man. And I don't know. He he's kind of, yeah, he's kind of a weird, sad character. He's talking about how the rest of his like family um, doesn't like or respect him, and it's kind of like oh, this is sort of a an interesting character, sort of an interesting setup that doesn't really come back because he just goes full Jaws for the rest of it, and you're just chasing around his fin or whatever. So yeah, you get some explanation for why that is I think but even in the beginning when they're having like the family meeting yeah he's like the one you don't really pay attention to because you have the doll like freaking out and then you it just immediately transitions to the bigger three in that group and he's just kind of like shambling off in the corner and the whole time he's very like He's very sloth from Goonies. Yeah, And yeah. then he can't control his fish form, so he's just, like, spazzing out all the time. It's, yeah. it, is, it is reminiscent of a lot of different media properties, so. He really got me in that family argument scene because his face just pops up and it, like, fills the screen. Like, the doll does, too, but him, I was just like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was cool. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it does have that big 80s vibe, like Goonies or even like the Warriors or something where there's just like characters yeah. keep being introduced or like Mad Max 2 or something where it's like, oh, now there's mm-hmm. this guy. Now there's this guy. 
Um, I like that a lot, personally, because the game is still also very dark and gothic, and the characters all have tragic backstories, so it's not like, you know, total just like neon-colored fun time, but it's also not just like super dour either. It's a good balance. Uh, I guess we should bring up that at that point in the story, too, Chris shows up for the first time in some hours. Oh, yeah. And he's just extremely vague and esoteric. And I believe this is where he says the line, you're out of your depth, Ethan. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but when he says that to you, it it just got me. I can't really say why. <laughs> I think it's just because it's so hokey. Sure. Like, it's definitely a really prime example of why Resident Evil is actually just schlocky and sometimes hacky is because basically apropos of nothing Chris is just like you're out of your depth yeah yeah but like he's only here you you let him get here Mr. Tactical Man yeah well it's also funny too that like they showed that scene in the trailer like the first trailer um or the first like real trailer I don't even think I I don't think I saw that trailer to uh, be honest because I just didn't see it coming. You just walk into a shack and Chris is, he just like jumps out and grabs you. Yeah. Well, they put that in the first trailer and it was really confusing because like the whole game looks all, you know, Beetlejuice. And then that scene without context is just like straight out of like Tom Clancy. And so like in the trailer, I was like, well, which is it? Is it Beetlejuice or is it Tom Clancy? And uh, it's interesting that in the game, I mean, that aspect, the whole like RE6 rainbow, RE6 meets rainbow six, uh, <laughs> like thing is not Jesus. a big part of it. And even like that scene is one of the only scenes like that until the very end of the game. And it's pretty deep into the game. Like you're not bumping into Chris as you're, you know, skulking around these castles and things. Yeah. You'll occasionally find a little, like a little outpost workstation where there's like a laptop and some supplies and, and that sort of stuff. And you'll find a note. Yeah. Um, but otherwise Chris isn't really involved till the end of the game with the exception of, uh, of that team. Right. But yeah. So I think that's one thing too, that's worth, worth noting. If, if you haven't played the game and you're like, Oh, what, what's the vibe? It's not like that. <laughs> Once again, to go to echo the conversation we had, earlier in the episode about how uh, the trailers were misleading and the rollout was weird. That was also a weird choice. Um, throwing that in the first trailer. Yeah, I I think at this point I can't really speak to to why they did anything they did over at Capcom. Yeah, for sure. For, for at least for the, the you know, the, the PR campaign in this game I really, I don't know what's going through their heads, but they just do what they do, and luckily this game's a certified banger, so... Yeah, for sure. I I often get the feeling from them, and I've talked about this in the past, that, like, they really are juggling a lot of things, and they don't always know which direction to go. Like, they're obviously more decisive with their, like, design choices, but... I feel like sometimes they're just like, oh, we have to remember that there's, you know, 25 years of total nonsense gobbledygook lore to, like, incorporate somehow, so let's make sure that's in there. Or like, oh, let's let's make sure a named character from the past is in this one. 
you know? <laughs> and so you get these odd choices. I think they did an okay job with that, though. Like, I think the ways they they opted to reference prior events or kind of find a way to tie it into the greater lore was at least at least well enough, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, it's not... I can't say that any of that stuff ever really excites me, but right. I think it's better than just sort of dropping Wesker in yeah. out of nowhere or something. Like, they at least... They at least take a shot that's in a slightly different direction. So. Yeah, or even in 7, where they just change directions at the end of the game to be more like something you would have seen in a anything from the previous few games, and it's just like total whiff. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think they did a good job. But it's just funny that even just in the marketing, there's like weird choices like that, where it's like, we gotta let him know Chris is in the game, but anything other than like the first scene in the game is kind of like a weird thing to show because he's not really in much of the rest of the game until the very end. Yeah, I think they really only show him when he's wearing his pea coat and any of that stuff. Yeah. The like no pea coat tacticaled up Chris is uh, that's for the game only. That's spoilers, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, yeah, Chris with 1800 fucking rounds of assault rifle ammunition is, is super spoiler. You can't show that. Spoilers. Yeah. Nope. They're not, they're not ready for it. <laughs> So the last area is actually the one that a bunch of people don't like, which threw me because I think it's great. Uh, Yeah, it's got crazy vibes. Yeah. And I think it's really important because it fixes that late game problem that once again, pretty much every Resident Evil game has had. They've tried a few different things, but they've pretty much failed every time they've never figured out how to bring a resident evil game home without kind of killing the vibe and this in my opinion is like the first resident evil game where they really did that um and it rocks so the last area belongs to heisenberg who's like this like little steampunk guy with tiny sunglasses and a big hammer that you've been seeing throughout the game um and he he resides in like a huge crazy factory that once again it's kind of steampunky because it's like all you know huge gears and big industry but it's also like slightly magical it's not really like high tech but there are cyborg men there are big gears there's lots and lots of fog and dry ice and i thought it was fucking awesome I think that it's not quite steampunk. I think his area is extremely Warhammer 40k. Big, big vibes from that. Like, everything's really big in there. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, like, it is, that area feels, like I said earlier, a bit linear, and it's somewhat claustrophobic. But there are sections where you kind of get to see just how big the place is, and it's fucking big yeah it is like inconceivably large it, it's basically inside a hollowed out mountain it's big yeah and all the the enemy types that get introduced in there are with the exception of like the regular zombonies like they're very if anybody's ever seen warhammer 40k stuff that isn't just space marines it looks exactly like that like it's mm. lots of dudes with a junk like meshed into their bodies and yeah all that stuff and all the like all the pistons and 
cogs and shit are just too big, like yeah. bigger than anything has any right to be, which is exactly how 40k is designed. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's just got like for some amount of reference, like I think the like the smaller spaceships in 40k are like the size of a country. <laughs> okay. Like they're impossibly big. Like the biggest ship in Warhammer 40k, I think, is honest to God the size. It's like bigger than the fucking moon. Sure. It's it's like stupid. That's why it's like quote unquote cool is because everything's big and dumb. Every Resident Evil game tries to have this pivot towards something that is a little bit more technological, a little bit more sci-fi, and more combat intensive in the last third or the last quarter, you know, or whatever. Yeah. This the game, game this game does that too, but it actually successfully does it. Cuz what most of them do is put you in a lab or god forbid on a tanker ship <clears throat> and it's always the most boring part of the game. It's the most sterile and like stale part of the game. I mean, like even in the Resident Evil 2 remake where they really like zhuzhed up that yeah. section of the game it's still kind of like only has one cool room in it you know the cafeteria which is like very scary um yeah it's it's just like a thing they all do and they all kind of whiff it and this one does it really well and i think there's a few reasons why number one like you say it makes that pivot without losing the aesthetic like yes you are in a big factory with like cyborg men who have metal parts sewn onto their flesh but it's like it's still in that gothic like aesthetic it doesn't look like you're in a lab or like you've jumped forward a hundred years compared to the rest of the yeah game. it's very industrial revolution yeah to like fr- from there to like maybe the late 50s as far as like mechanical designs concerned yeah like everything's painted the same shade of like yucky green that's like flaked off and rusted and repainted and, and yeah all that stuff and even like the bad guys, you know, the those like biomechanical bad guys have like a quote unquote generator in the center of their chest, but it's more like a magical gem, like those uh, tough troll dolls they made. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like <laughs> tough guy troll dolls. And they have a big gem in the center of their chest. Uh, Do you remember those? Was that how's that different? How's that different than the gem in the belly button? I don't understand. Well, because it, it's, it's wait, the trolls have them in the belly button or the forehead? I think it was their belly button, but then the tough ones had mm-hmm. it like in their in their like six pack abs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think they were called like gem guardians or something. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, it was nine, 90s toys. They all made no sense and were like super off the rails. Anyway, I'm gonna start calling Lil Lucy Vert a gem guardian. I hope he's doing something with that fucking thing. Considering how much he paid to have it <laughs> surgically implanted in the middle of his skull. He's serving and protecting that gem. He still can't make more than one and a half good songs at a time, so. Damn, shots fired. That dude annoys the piss out of me. <laughs> I don't know why. I couldn't even tell you why, because I like I didn't. I didn't think I'd awaken something in you, but here we go. I like his good songs. He's another one of those dudes. You listen to the album, and you're just like, holy shit, dude. You were just the I whole. I Love is Rage is pretty good. I feel like he just uh, two the second one Love is Rage two he just sounds like a guy who's in the studio shopping for a diamond to be surgically implanted in the skull he's just <laughs> not engaged just window shopping in the stew yeah <laughs> just swiping swiping on the app dude <laughs> wish.com gem for your forehead wish.com absolutely has a knockoff little Uzi Vert gem for your forehead kit 
<laughs> and it comes and then God. the follow-up email they send you is do you want to get the gangrene care kit also jeez it's like doing a claire's like piercing gun at home thing but for subdermal <laughs> crystals yeah. i hate this yeah exactly you have to cut all this out because i hate it <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna loop it so it plays twice actually <laughs> right now <laughs> You gotta, you gotta, you gotta chop and screw the second one. Oh yeah, it's just much slower. <laughs> just draw it out. Bass Ag- boosted. Agonizing. Oh, codeine, the codeine mix. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Oh man, the other day I was like trying to find information about a record I was listening to, and like uh, I found like an old review of it that was like a negative review where it was like this sounds like music for drinking cough syrup too and i was like oh man (laughs) times are really different because that's basically the basis of like Uh. a lot of music now (laughs) (laughs) it was just a funny thing more relevant than ever which is interesting because there's a real shortage of that stuff oh there has been for a while now yeah yeah like they just it's finite so i I feel like the final bottle of codeine is going to be worth like a billion dollars at least (laughs) yeah well it's because the the dudes who are really into it want the designer shit they want the nice shit Mm -hmm. no uh no i'll take the great value codeine that's fine yeah no no uh nyquil and sprite for those guys okay so another reason i think the factory is great um (laughs) is that uh, besides the aesthetic stuff, which yeah, handles really well. Thank you for the input about things I know nothing about, like um, Dennis Quaid and Warhammer 40k. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I another thing I really like about it is that it's basically like the dark mirror of the castle section. So yeah, you know, obviously there's a lot more combat, and combat is more intense, but there's still a lot of exploration and there's multiple levels to it that you have to kind of traverse and go between with like a big elevator and the elevator is your save room. Uh, pause yeah, for a moment. The Duke's in there. Yeah. And can we pause for a moment to just like talk about how cool that is, or at least just acknowledge that that's a really cool idea for a resident evil stage, you know, like, yeah, it's definitely a mechanic you see in, in games occasionally, but to see it here is, is super fun. Yeah. Like, and they've just never done that. And I was like, oh, that's actually really cool. Um, you know, like throughout the game, I think the save rooms feel a little less save roomy than they do in other games, even though like they work exactly the same. Like you can go in there and no one can hurt you. But like this one was really cool because it was like the most abstract save room and you can move it around the map. I just thought that was really neat. Yeah, and I think like the the way we've talked about pacing the whole time really comes to a head here mm-hmm. because the final area is like a it's a more streamlined condensed version of the first main area you go to. Right. And the the focus on combat I think is a a fairly good choice here cuz you've had plenty of time to sort of to to lock into the game's combat system. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like they just arbitrarily did the thing where they give you an Uzi at the end of the game and just throw more bad guys at you. Yes. It's you've you have had time to collect resources and do all of that stuff, get the guns you want, 
yeah figure out how you want to approach everything and then it's part of the final area yeah like everything sort of led to this intentionally mm -hmm. and it's not just a you find like a dead bsaa soldier who's holding a machine gun right and then you're like well i guess i can use this now and that's like basically what they do in seven where like the end of seven yeah. has a ton of combat and is like super shooty, but like the combat still sucks and there's been no mm -hmm. ramp up into it. Cause even like the second to last area, you can still run past most of the enemies. Like besides the bosses, the game still hasn't been like super combat heavy. And then suddenly it just is out of nowhere. And I hated that. And like, I'll always hate that about that game. Um, so yeah, that ramp up is really nice here, but I think what's even cooler to me. And like I said, this is when I, I realized like, oh, this is just like the inverse of the first stage is that like when I was playing the first stage, the castle stage, I mean, uh, I was kind of wondering like, oh, are they going to bring this back? This kind of like being stalked and hunted thing. Uh, and I thought maybe that was going to happen in every stage and it doesn't like it happens a little bit in the Beneviento part but not it's not quite the same um and then when you come to this area you're just fighting normal enemies and you're like oh i wonder like what the twist is here i wonder if i'm gonna get stalked and you are except you're being stalked all over the place by these super strong enemies that you can kill but they're like killable enemies that act like the sort of unstoppable sentinel like mr x or like uh lady domitresque and like I thought that was such a cool touch because it made it really tense and scary, but you also have the ability to fight back. And like you're saying, like you have this whole, like, you know, armory to help you and you have this whole body of experience that you're like, okay, I can't actually fight these guys. But the first couple of times that those guys came at me, I just fucking ran, you know? And there's even a couple that you don't have to kill if you need to save ammo. And it's almost like in your best interest not to. No, that tack shoddy was my bread and butter. The, the, I knew that boy was going to pop up the second I saw him in that chair. And as soon as he did, I just let him have it. Yeah. But I, I think like when the play starts getting filled up with those dudes, like it gets yeah. really intense. And I was like, oh, this is like when the lady and her sisters are stalking you, except mm -hmm. now you can fight back, you know? Yeah, th that's. I had been sitting on a lot of mines and pipe bombs, I think, by then. Yeah. So that's when I was fully like, I'm not dealing with this. And I just put <laughs> mine sound everywhere to blow them Yeah. I, uh, they're cool, though, because you... So you have the regular ones. You have even bigger ones that you can kill traditionally. And you can also use some environmental stuff around them, which it took me a while to figure out that that's what that stuff was. I thought maybe that was part of a puzzle. Yeah. Um. And you've got the biggest one that sort of thematically is chasing you. Like it never pops up the way like Mr. X or yeah. Lady Domitrusque will. But like as the story's progressing, going through that area, you know, he shows up and you have to run away and that moves you to another spot on the map. Yeah. So you're, you're, it's like you're literally and figuratively being chased. Yeah. It's it's like multiple layers of reality of being chased by an enemy, but it never feels like oppressive the way that Mr. X did. Yeah. Like you're still free to like move around and do stuff, but you will occasionally have to actually gun down some 
crazy like World War II fighter plane psycho. Yeah, for sure. I, I just I thought it was really cool. I was like, oh, they showed that you could do that same kind of feel or gameplay style with combat added back into it. And so I actually chose early on, I chose to run a lot. And then by the end, when I had a good picture of where my ammo was going to be at, I kind of was just like going back and, and killing them. But it was still really intense and uh, it was really fun. I love this part and I, I was just so confused why people were shitting on it. Because it's like, no, this is just a different take on that early section, which once again, I think is a much cooler way to do a traditional Resident Evil like ending part. You know, rather than in 4, where they just crank everything up to 11 and make the music yeah. really horrible. Uh, that stupid fucking bongo music that plays, like, sucks. <laughs> um, or in 7, where it's just out of nowhere, like, okay, now it's Doom, except the controls suck and the enemies are just literal piles of shit. Uh, it's just like, oh wow, this is a much more interesting and elegant and fun to play Resident Evil end section. Like, I think the only one that even comes close is that end of the Resident Evil 2 remake. I guess I like the ending of the Resident Evil 3 remake as well, but the 2 one just has like a lot of vibes. I think it's worth noting that there are parts of this area that do feel very, um, Resident Evil 4 military base vibes, whatever that island is that you're on. Yeah, yeah. Like the the new enemies here feel a lot like regenerators. Mm. Oh, yeah. To me, they just have the same freakish vibe, sort of. And the, I, You yeah. know, I think when you look at them side by side, they're extremely different, but... I think the like the quantity of them and just the the aspect of having to shoot a specific part of their body to like really do them in yeah. is reminiscent of that. The area like aesthetically is different, but it still felt similar in a way. Yeah, without being like, but not in a, not in a bad way because I think that final area of Resident Evil Four is just like kind of drab. But yeah, well, no, that's the thing is like. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I actually thought it was a reference at first. Like the first time I, t I saw one, I was like, oh, this is like the regenerators. And there's even like a sound cue, like the regenerators and like all this other shit where I was like, oh, yeah, I think this is a reference. But it also made me realize, A, that like the aesthetic and the visuals of this part are so much cooler than the end of Resident Evil 4. And B, it made me realize that like it made me realize that the combat and the enemy variety in this game are so good that you can save something as cool as a regenerator type enemy for like the end of the game. Cause four pretty much puts that kind of in the middle of the game. And then you don't really get a whole lot of new stuff after that. Like the game is still fun for other reasons, but that's like their last big idea in terms of enemy variety and seven had none. <laughs> and so this game is like, giving you this really cool take on that. And I thought that was really impressive once again, and just something that we don't see in a Resident Evil game that I'm like very into like, yes, make the combat fun, make the enemies fun to fight and give us a variety of enemies. If combat is going to be so heavy in the game, which once again, always has been, it's part of the series DNA. So every area, like, they, you know, every area corresponds to one of the characters. And I think a big part of what makes every zone you go into interesting is the personality of those characters. Like it feeds into the the aesthetic and the feeling you get when you enter a zone. Like in like these are they're 
generally interesting characters. Right. And generally in Resident Evil, I, there's just not a lot of those. Like, the zones aren't tied to a person, and if they are, that person doesn't always feel interesting. Mm-hmm. And here, it's it's like a more cohesive aesthetic vision. I think the closest it's come before is maybe Salazar? Yeah, I mean... Maybe? Like, having little Napoleon Man in the castle was pretty cool, but... Yeah. And I mean, not to keep bringing this up, but like... Four and seven, the two games that eight draws heavily from, both did kinda do this. It's just so yeah. much more complete here than it was in those games. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like four, it's like you've got kind of a mysterious cult leader guy, and then you've got Napoleon, and then I guess And you have tall guy that turns into a lower body spider monster, upper yeah. body spider monster. Both parts? Kind of a centipede Spider-Man. Yeah. He breaks in half and both halves <laughs> do something, I think. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah, a, yeah. what a crazy. Absolutely psychotic. Yeah, not so. But like Salazar is the only person in that equation that's interesting. The the cult leader guy is just like a dude in a robe. Yeah. He literally looks like the the minions that walk around the castle. Uh-huh. He doesn't. Yeah, except he he's kinda, not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and then at the end, there's a... What's his name? Krauser? Yeah, but who is he? We've talked about it before. Who is that Yeah, who the fuck You find out who he is in, like, a light novel, like, a visual novel game or yeah. something? Yeah, yeah, you have to play... And he's a, just a dude Leon did one job with one time? Yeah, yep. You have to play an unauthorized uh, hentai game to to find out why. Okay, now I'm, now I'm back on board. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> What's a Baku.net slash Resident Evil 4 visual novel. What's the shady PayPal address I send to you to get my copy of this? Hello? Is anyone there? Uh, BigLolyTitty69 <laughs> at Hotmail.com. Did you get my payment? I sent it yesterday. Send. Hello? 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 I mailed you a check to this email address. It, it hasn't cleared yet. <laughs> you didn't get my money order? It had my social security as the memo. God. Uh, <laughs> Who's this money order for? Uh, big lolly titty 69. <laughs> Sir, this is a Chili's. <laughs> you, I bet Chili's is going to have to start doing money orders to stay afloat. Yeah, for sure, dude. Yeah, how's Chili's doing? Let's let's get to the real question well, here. How is Chili's doing? <laughs> that's, the, that's why we did this. That's why we played this video game. Yeah. To ask the real questions. We are actually recording this live in a Chili's equidistant to the two places oh. we live. Damn. I thought now would be a good time would. to reveal that. I like I I'd probably you could probably convince me to do that. <laughs> it's been a long year. I'll do whatever. I don't give a shit. I would eat shitty chips and salsa. Well, that, you see, that's what would happen though. Is it would just be constant, like <laughs> while, we, while we're like recording. Yeah, we just have a we have like a GoPro camera mic. Uh, the last time I went to a restaurant like that, it was really gross. I got the wrong thing, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I got really sick. Mm-hmm. So all all that checks out. It's part of the experience. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty messed up. Um, but yeah, whatever, dude. Fuck it. Twenty twenty one big times big ideas what were we talking about um oh yes (laughs) so with heisenberg's area yeah yeah, sure um 
But yeah, I think Resident Evil 8 takes that idea of having a character that the area is tied to and makes it a complete idea. So the areas are more interesting. The characters are more interesting. You see the correlation between the two. I think Heisenberg is actually a really funny character in a way because like he seems like very meme Like at first you're not sure what to make of him, but then by the end you're like in his like workshop that has like a Pepe Sylvia style board. Uh, and he's like yelling all these conspiracy theories and stuff at you. And I was like, this is really weird. Like this really feels like this is some kind of meme thing or some weird social commentary that's like going over my head. Yeah, I think maybe that's like what I couldn't put my finger on earlier. But like, it's interesting hearing that now because he's not the meme, which is crazy because he, yeah, his whole shtick is extremely tailor made to that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's like, I guess horniness always prevails. So that's just one out in the meme war. Yeah. But for yeah, sure. his whole his whole thing, the way he looks, the way he talks, the things he says. Yeah. The fact that he and I didn't know I didn't I just I didn't really figure this out until like his boss fight happened, but like he can he's Magneto? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah, I didn't notice that either. I didn't notice in the opening scene that he just wills his big hammer made of car engine parts out of nowhere. Uh-huh. I just, it didn't even register. I thought he just, like, picked it up or something. And then on the second watch, I was like, no, he straight up does the, like, come here hammer. And, like, it just flies into his hand. Yeah. And then, yeah, but that's his whole, that's his special trait is he can do that. Yeah. And he's just, like, just such a, like, there's so many parts to him. Yeah. That, like, the only reason he lost is because he doesn't have, like, a fucking donk and huge titties <laughs> and is and it's all white and uh according to that guy on twitter has very realistic stretch marks oh right yeah even though she doesn't because she literally just has a weird like concrete skin because she's literally a monster <laughs> uh, that man I can't believe I reminded myself of that guy. Well, and now you're going to make me explain it to the listeners, which is actually hilarious because go ahead. You officially played yourself. Congratulations. You played yourself. Justin, I think it was you who found (laughs) it, right? It's like a guy on Twitter who's like praising Lady Mm, Dami Trask mm, mm, for mm, for being like, yo, maybe it was Monica actually. It told, okay. It was like the three of us just like being like, what? Yeah. (laughs) It was either her or them that that posted that. Somebody in the Discord found this guy on Twitter who was popping off because he thought Lady Dami Trask was this like groundbreaking hero for women everywhere because they gave her like some wrinkles and a bit of crow's feet and that like her skin looks quote unquote realistic. Although let to recap, she is a nine foot tall monster woman with gray fucking skin. So I guess for, you know, all the nine foot tall Hungarian monster vampire women who are gray, I am happy that you're finally represented. I'm sure this was a really beautiful moment, but that dude needs to fucking chill like big the part you're leaving out time. the real heinous part is that one of his main points was that she doesn't have perky breasts she <laughs> has like natural ones 
Which, like, I don't even know where he's getting that from because, like, they are, like, up there. Yeah. She is just honking, gigantic, like, impossibly elevated tittums. And I don't know why this dude's just like, but they're so, they're just big naturals. <laughs> and I was like, please, you have to jerk off. You have to do that. You can't do this. <laughs> don't you can't do talk this. like this on the internet. Yeah, don't. It's illegal. For once, don't use your words. Just jerk off and leave us all out of it. Yeah. Like, I think you kind of have to get dragged behind a truck for three miles <laughs> if you post like that. You just can't do shit like that anymore. Well, I just like, I love all these fucking quote unquote nerds who are actually stupid as fuck. It's like, you don't know about physics? Like, no, she doesn't have realistic proportions at all. She's like, she, yeah, no. She's wearing a dress, dog. It's holding it up. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know. I just love that he was like, this is a, this is a, a banner day everywhere for women. Yeah. It's like, yes, all the women who look like that feel seen. Now let's go find them. (laughs) This dude is bald and like, has like a really shitty scraggly beard. (laughs) Of course. I mean, it's just like you said. Just just jerk off. Leave Twitter out of it. No one needs to know Like when you're just like worshipping the tall lady. Don't leave me out. Hey, at least he wasn't talking about her feet, I guess. He, see, I'm sure he then went on a forum and was like, feet pics, question mark? Hey, anybody got some feet pics of Lady Domitresque? Feeling really into her right now. Anyone help me out? I mean, I think that, like, when he saw that official shoe size, (laughs) he, like, probably almost broke his, like, NoFap 2021 rule or something. (laughs) Homie almost busted right there. (laughs) He's definitely saving his essence to prevent stolen valor because he's a Sigma male. I, like, I, we can't say essence in reference to jerking off it, like, (laughs) It breaks me. And now you're trying to fucking censor me on my own show. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Okay, so then this is an interesting thing to talk about. The end of the game does go kind of exactly where you think it's going to go in a couple different ways. Because first, it makes you fight a big, huge, giant boss that's very Resident Evil 7. And, like, you already have done this before, right? But, like, now it's, like, the biggest big, giant boss like maybe in the series history um and you're in a tank kind of a tiny ad hoc junk mm-hmm. tank that chris gave you um and mm-hmm. is this also where chris chris, chris shows up yeah and gives he you some explains plot. Yeah. some things and he gives you a tank uh-huh. which is like kind of a dream come true if chris showed up and was just like hey i got some stuff you need to know and then gave me a tank I, that would probably all coincide really well, actually. The stuff he told me probably would make me murderous. So, Yeah, and I want to talk about this stuff in a second, but I did want to say I thought this boss was fine. Like, I have no issue with it. It was fun. It was fun as hell. Yeah. You have a tank. 
It's got a missile launcher and a machine gun, and then once the tank is destroyed, you have to use your bullets, and then when he tries to metal tornado you into him, you catch a rocket launcher in midair and uh-huh. shoot it at him and kill him. Yeah. Which is bonkers insane. Yeah, but like, also, once again, at the end of Resident Evil 7, there's a hilarious and hilariously out of place like Dragon Ball Z fight with a big sludge monster. And all throughout Resident Evil 6, you're kind of doing weird like John Woo crap like that. And just somehow here it works. Like somehow here it's like, oh, they did it. It works. Like, yes, it's off the rails. Yes, it's over the top. But like, it just worked for me. Uh, And so I give this game a lot of props for that. Yeah, it's like slightly thin because Chris is like, oh, it's or he doesn't. I think it's just just a note that says that it's made out of like a polymer that Heisenberg can't manipulate. Uh huh. But then you're caught in a tornado that he's created, mm-hmm. grabbing onto a thing in the tornado. I, it's so it's yeah. a little, yeah, it's a little whatever. But like it's it's fun as hell. So you can't really you can't really hold it against an already campy game for doing something that like immediately just breaks its own setup. Just so yeah. you can have fun. Like, you're supposed to just have fun. Yes, and I also think that the first-person gorgeous spectacle of it really can't be downplayed. Because, mm-hmm. like, like, in Resident Evil 6, for example, all the stuff like that happens in a really corny, badly directed cutscene. Whereas in this game, it's happening in first person. It's really well directed and it's gorgeous. It's a visual spectacle. So when they do these big set pieces, they hit in a way that they didn't in older games. And I really appreciate that. Like, you know, you have to really be a killjoy to be just like, this sucks. Because it's like, this is cool, man. Like, as opposed to RE6, where it's like, you just have to have a brain to be like, this is stupid, you know? So there's one more gameplay thing I want to talk about, or maybe just a couple more small gameplay things. And then I want to do like a story dump uh, type of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, so there's two more notable things I think that happen in the gameplay here. The next is that you get a section where you play as Chris uh, and you go full Tom Clancy. You got lots of guns, lots of bullets. You, uh, you know, breach the perimeter of the village and shoot lots of uh, werewolves. What did you think of this bit? Um, so this bit felt the most like the part of seven where you find you find like Mia's abandoned like AK-74, uh-huh. which I'm not saying it wrong. That's the tiny version <laughs> of the big one. Sure. Uh, and you're just like, and you're just like shooting everything. Yeah. It's it is like that but it's at least sort of set up thematically and it kind of immediately made me think is this what mercenaries is going to be like Mm. like is this the general thought of it is like bullets you get to use guns that maybe aren't in the campaign you're in a location that you are somewhat familiar with and you're just gonna like go to town right which is Somewhat true, yeah. Um, but I thought it was—I thought it was fine. Like, yeah. 
I think when it hit, I was like, well, like, of course they had to do, they had to do one of these, right. They had to do a, just a balls to the wall, bullets everywhere, kind of action set piece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of at least set it up. I guess we're going to get to that in a bit. You get some story for why you're now playing as Chris. Yeah. But at this point you are trying, you're trying to like kill the big baddie. Mm-hmm. And at some point in this, you also find Mia. Yeah. Who is the real Mia. Yeah. And not the one that was in your house at the beginning. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you're, you're using laser strikes to call in big rockets. You fight a big, another big hammer man. You find a giant fetus underground. And he just keeps saying Mega Mycete over and over, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know what that was until the game was basically over. Yeah. But I thought it was I thought it was tight. I just it was fun to walk around and you're like, oh, there's just more bullets for me. Yeah. And you're just dumping into tons of lichens, just going hog wild. <laughs> it's it's like it's fun enough. Like I yeah. thought it was cool. Yeah, like the, I think we kind of agree here. Like, if you ask me if I like this part or do I feel it's essential, I would probably say no. But I also don't think it really brings the game down either. It's like knowing it's Resident Evil, knowing they're gonna do one of these because they're always up to their same bullshit. This is the best case scenario. Yeah, it's streamlined. It's not very long. Um, it's punchy. You get through it. You get on. It is kind of fun to call in airstrikes and like. It gives you a little bit of flavor, too, because, like, you know, they sort of... In the old games, they would never try this kind of shit, where it's like, let's make you feel like you're one of the crazy, powerful, tactical guys. Um, In 7, they kind of tried it when they did that little bit where you play as Mia. It's like a flashback. Um, And I thought it's much better here, just because, once again, it's shorter, it's punchier. It is just, like, pure combat, so it's fun. I do think that, like... I love the big combat arenas in the main game and they're very satisfying because it's like you and your character that you've been working on. These ones aren't as satisfying because yeah, you just get like almost as much ammo as you want. You get a bunch of crazy guns and shit. You have a different loadout. So it, it feels a little like it's like, okay, I don't know if this totally needed to be here, but at the same time, it doesn't bring the game down. And as soon as it's over and you kind of get on with it, the game gets really, really interesting with the story stuff. So, yeah, I guess some stuff in the defense of this scene is normally they would have you yourself be doing this. Yeah. But you've transitioned to a different character whose whole life is literally this. Yeah. So it at least thematically makes sense that you're just like going ape shit on 50 werewolves at yeah. this point. Yeah. Um, like that kind of adds up in a way that like just having Ethan hold a machine gun like doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. It's like, if you're going to do this, yeah, make me Chris for 15 minutes. That's much better than suddenly my guy is Rambo when he has Mm -hmm. not been Rambo, (laughs) you know? The thing I did like about this section is that I do think, once again, I think this game is kind of a redemption tour for a bunch of the ideas that they put out there in 4 and 6 and 7. And I think this is definitely the redemption of the RE6 idea of having you play as different characters and also having it be a crazy over-the-top military adventure like 
I think it works much better as a side thing or just as a little tiny detour in the game or whatever. It's much more fun and engaging than the way that they've done it either in six or seven. So as a piece of the apology tour, redemption tour that I kind of think Resident Evil 8 is, I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. I think if you didn't have this, you would you would end up needing more of like a cutscene. Mm-hmm. And seven and eight being first person have like relied on the you never or not never, but you mostly don't lose perspective, like Ethan's perspective, like you're always there. Yeah. Um, and you so once you've transitioned to Chris, you do because they're also doing the weird like you can't know what Ethan looks like thing. Yeah. Um, so w- like when you find Mia, it does just fully switch to like third person camera. They're interacting. It's a cutscene, but it is fairly short. Like they don't do those too much here. And I think having it be a playable moment where you're just playing the super soldier guy because that's what he is. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense and it's just objectively more fun than just watching a cutscene. Because then you'd have to watch like a, you know, a one minute cutscene where he's like running through this village, yeah. just like popping everything. And it would be like the the dumb gif from the movie where they're shooting at each other's feet and running in a circle. Yeah. Because you know that cutscene would have to be him literally running through a village and just like one-shotting werewolves <laughs> as he went. Yeah. Which would feel really out of place and a bit unauthentic compared to just being first person. You have the gameplay and from like a gameplay perspective, you can't one tap them. You need to like just dump bullets into them. Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of like you just, you know, there's maybe no perfect way to, to transition from what happens prior to this and after it. Yeah. And they just kind of picked the best one they could. But I think that, choosing to have a playable moment here as Chris makes more sense than anything else they could have done. Yeah, no, totally. I I agree. And like I said, even if I don't think this is like the coolest thing in the world, I, I definitely agree with that and I see why they did it and I think they did it well. Um, so the only other thing I want to talk about in terms of gameplay, um, like purely gameplay before we talk about story stuff is I love the last boss. Um, because it's not a big giant uh hell monster it's literally just like the main antagonist of the game you fight uh she's not enormous she's normal size you're in a normal size kind of area and it just relies on you and your skill and some item management and i thought that was fucking awesome and it was such a nice change of pace even from this game where each boss was bigger and more ridiculous than the last and especially in the series which has come to rely so much on those big ridiculous bosses yeah she has the she has like the multi-phase yeah. sort of style that people who play these games are familiar with and a lot of other games would be familiar with but she isn't like a kaiju she yeah. is just She's still herself with some things coming out of her. Yeah. Um. But like the fun thing is, it's always the wings. Yeah. Which is which like very quickly was clear was just like part of her thing. Mm-hmm. So having the the actual wings morph into something is is cool. Yeah. And it's a cool it's a cool freakish little like HR Geiger arena that you're locked into. Yeah. And at this point, like thematically, you're having like a quarrel with her, mm-hmm. which. I guess we're going to say for the very end since 
like b- big major time spoilers. Like I think because that's the thing. I think you could have gotten to this point and we still haven't really gotten into some things. Yeah, yeah, totally. So like. I don't know if you still want to save anything for yourself. Like, stop here. <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, but like they're they're kind of going back and forth. And it's a little corny because of course it is. But, yeah. you know, it's it's fun. The, the style of the, the fight combined with that, like the story aspects is is fun. Yeah. I was just like surprised in a good way by the restraint. And I was like, oh, this is really cool because like in a game that has such good combat and such good nuts and bolts, I am always a little disappointed when the boss becomes too big and too set PC. Um, Like I like it much better when it's just a boss that like relies on your own skill and is just very down to earth. And that's how the last boss in the game is. I thought it was fucking cool as shit. Yeah. I guess like intimate is probably the word to use here. Yep. Cause you are in a pretty small um, arena. Yeah. Like it's, it's literally maybe 20 feet wide. It's a circle, but it's, you know, the diameter is probably 30 feet maximum, if that. Yeah, for sure. There's some verticality to it, but that's mostly it. And you're just locked in a really small place with with the big baddie. Yeah, um, totally. And you, you don't know exactly where it's going to go from there, so it's it's fun. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we're, we're going to talk about the story now and the kind of spoilery story beats which mostly come all at the end of the game so we're kind of just breaking down all the stuff you find out in like the last 90-ish minutes of the game you know so basically you've been looking for your daughter you find that she's split up into these her essence is split up into these like vials you have to defeat all the bosses get the vials you finally catch up to Chris who's been avoiding you and you're like, hey man, give me some answers. And he's like, okay, well, now that the story doesn't need me to not tell you anything anymore, I will tell you everything. <laughs> yeah, those are really... I I think I would have appreciated maybe a, a better drip feed of story as opposed to yeah. the just like, he shows up to tell you you don't belong here. Yeah. And then he just acquiesces eventually for basically no reason other than you just kind of keep like running into him yeah yeah he's Um, big you will never be one of us for like eight hours and then suddenly is i mean he is the size of the harm's way guy like he is huge i need someone to make chris redfield doing the harm's way dance those weird hardcore or like those running man like the running man videos that were happening for a bit with like video game characters yeah just like that but it's just like big chris it's big chris doing that weird dance move yeah it's halfway between like skanking and the running man and then uh Mm -hmm. set to (laughs) save room music so it's like really tranquil and calm (laughs) hell yeah yeah uh I'll collab with whoever on that, but someone needs to feed me that animation, and I'll do the editing. Uh, <laughs> There's some amateur game people in the Discord. Yeah, if you're listening and you care, help. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so you finally catch up to Chris, and he basically tells you, okay, the reason I shot Mia, your wife, in the beginning was because it wasn't your wife. It was Mother Miranda. She's basically controlled by the ooze she's a monster had to get rid of her i'm here to save you i've been trying to save you uh 
which is what it is. Uh, it's not a... In terms of, like, plot holes, yeah, there are a couple, but I guess it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, it's also worth noting, I think, if we haven't really mentioned it, that they keep talking about a ritual, of course, every time your daughter Rose comes up. Yeah. Uh... And there's some stuff with some podiums that have some umbrella logos and you just kind of, you kind of put together that the baby gets slotted into the thing and they do some magic thing and something happens. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. They don't really fully explain it, but it's kind of implied, I guess. So why would you need to? (laughs) For sure. But so after that fight with Heisenberg, it basically dramatically cuts to Chris's perspective. Um... And because you die. Well, it's suggested. Like, okay, maybe you got crushed at the end of the fight. Um, well, Chris thinks you're dead. Right. But... Like, you're lying on the ground, like, dead, dead, because Miranda has literally ripped your heart out. Right. She punches you, like, Kali Ma style <laughs> and pulls your heart out. Right. And then Chris is like, he's gone. And that's where you get the perspective shift. And that's why, like, thematically, it sort of makes sense that you're now a new character. It's because the character you've been playing is, like, there. there's no first aid ointment for this one, you know? Yeah. Like, your heart has been removed. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and so you get to play as Chris for a little bit, which we talked about last time from a gameplay sense. But... This part's really interesting in terms of story because after you get through the village, you basically go down into this like dungeon type area and you kind of get a Resident Evil 4 style lore dump right at the end of the game. But like I was harping on last time, I actually think it works well in this game. Um, you know, basically you go down into this kind of dungeon area, you find a bunch of evidence that's saying that, oh, Spencer, like the namesake of Spencer Mansion, uh, was here. He was working with Miranda. This is basically the birthplace of all the umbrella shit. Um, that's where the logo comes from. It was all already existing and he basically took it back to Arclay Mountains and that's how the whole series kind of got kicked off. Meanwhile, Miranda is here and she's now like a crazy monster who built this family out of other people who she like tortured and turned into monsters, which you've been seeing throughout the whole game. You've been seeing dungeons. You've been seeing like in the castle, there's a bunch of discarded bodies of like maids who they were trying to turn into um, uh, the lady's daughters, you know, before they found the actual candidates that would like take the transfusion or whatever. Um yeah, and that's kind of the the gist of that place before you move on in the story. And yeah, like like it's easy to just like harp on it and just be like, oh, that's like weird and corny. But I was like, I don't know. I actually thought it worked. Like for what they were trying to do and what they've tried in the past, I thought it actually worked here. Yeah, I don't think they tried too hard to reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and even the the way that they try to loop it back isn't like extremely graceful because it's just a note that name drops uh, that dude. Yeah. Oswell Spencer, whatever the, I don't know. Yeah. He had a rich white man. Yeah. Patton Oswald or something. Yeah. And I think it, it, maybe I misread. Um, Oh, I can't do it. I was going to do a voice, but I can't do his voice. (laughs) Uh, I think I, you know, maybe I misread, but I think a note says 
that she kind of she I think he already had the idea for the T virus, but the virus part was like she just made like a comment that that like gave him the light bulb moment to make it a virus. Yeah. So that like I don't I don't like I don't think the T virus is actually based on the the meta my seat mega my seat whatever were both is. of those words yeah <laughs> I don't remember anymore basically uh, there's been a giant organism or colony of organisms underground beneath this village yeah and that's what she was studying and that's where the mold comes from yes. And I think at some point the whole umbrella thing loops back to as they continue to try to make more psycho shit, they come back to her. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. Well, yeah. And I think that not a hundred percent. I'll have to read a little closer (laughs) next time. I think the tape, well, and this is the thing. A lot of people I was seeing online were complaining about that. Like this makes no sense. Blah, blah. It's like the takeaway is that this is kind of like the birthplace of, the series and its many concerns and that like the reason that seven even showed you the mold or had it as a concept is because they were kind of trying to find a different way to address this whole thing by going back to the start of it, which I think is smart because resident evil had an escalation problem of like D virus, G virus, this virus, that virus, bigger thing, bigger thing. Like you can't keep doing it forever. It's stupid and so it's like okay we're gonna go back to this like elemental thing and say okay this is sort of like the cradle of resident evil's civilization uh i thought that was which cool. is better than country of africa for sure yeah <laughs> the act yeah the actual cradle of civilization um resident evil should stay away from as we established uh resident evil 5 <laughs> episode is still available to listen to for anyone who missed it um but yeah, like I think that as a storytelling move is good. But I also know that sometimes people don't like that. Um, I know that people did not like when they tried to like retcon Spider-Man's powers and make it so that it was some kind of elemental thing. Uh, like I remember I was reading. Wait, what? Yeah, that happened when like in the 2000s, like the last time I was reading Spider-Man, they kind of tried to be like, oh, it's like this divine thing that was like, a god gave him his powers actually and then he's kind of like reborn as this more like super heroic thing uh mm, and it's i mean people okay. hated that that's that's literally not any worse than radioactive spider e- i yeah i know <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna say this resident evil is just like the goofiest shit nothing in it is to be taken seriously. Yeah. There's nothing hidden. There's no deeper meaning. It's just like, it's just Romero bullet time. What it's just, it's, it's, it's good fun times with like Zombonies. Yeah. That's all it is. And people getting really psycho about the lore, especially it's like, there's just no point because eventually, like you said, it just escalates. So once it starts escalating, it's just boring. Yeah. And I think that in terms of looking at Resident Evil 8 story, to me, the measure of if it works or doesn't work is just like, does it fit? Like, does it fit within the story? Does it fit within the game? And I think the answer to all this stuff is yes. The reason that it stood out maybe in Resident Evil 7 or Resident Evil 4 was either because it was like, too stupid 
or that it kind of broke the game and set it going in a direction that was less fun, which that's kind of like Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 7, respectively. In this game, the stuff is just there. I mean, yeah, Chris, like, being underground and seeing the things and saying, like, you know, um, Mega Machine Man or whatever the fuck that shit's called. Like, it just breezes past (laughs) you. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like some big moment where, you know, they need to stop and tell you what midichlorians are. And that's, like, good. Like, that is good. You don't want to be sitting there reading notes that make no sense. You want to be playing the game. Um Resident Evil 8 is incredibly effective at just pushing you towards playing a video game, which makes it an effective video game. And it respects you enough to not give you any more of an expedition dump about what any of this is than it has to. Yeah. Because they do just kind of keep name dropping things without much explanation, but you're playing a Resident Evil game. You already know what it is. Yeah. You don't need a 300-page encyclopedia <laughs> devoted to the lore for this game, because it doesn't matter. Because the 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 end for those means is you shoot. Yeah, you go to cool place and you shoot. That's yeah, and that happens. Yeah, maybe people didn't listen to the episode called "Skip to the End," which I think is the episode that got me the most hate mail. Uh, but I will say that that ep- that episode is useful for trying <laughs> to get into my frame of mind, which is literally that if a game just sounds like it's um, trying to finish an essay by saying nonsense words, I fucking tune out. So. If a game just wants to casually pepper in some nonsense words that I don't have to focus in on, that's okay. That's like already how I was playing Resident Evil. Like, I was already tuning out when someone tried to like explain literally anything to me. So RE8 is like, it's like one of these games if it was written for me, you know, where it's like, yeah, you don't need to know what this thing is. We named it somewhere. At Capcom, there's a design document explaining what it is, and we're not going to show it to you. And I'm like, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for respecting my time. I think my hot take here, and I'll go ahead and say that I understand everyone gets excited for things and everyone has things they like and they connect to or they gravitate towards. But like something that really helps me in these situations with obsessing over stuff like this to the point that you can't just have fun with a game like this that's objectively well-made and fun is um, think about how you're going to die one day. (laughs) How nothing is permanent. Literally nothing is permanent. Uh Nothing. And even after you're dead for a million years, the whole planet's probably going to explode so it doesn't matter where you're buried or any of that stuff because it'll be gone too. Mm -hmm. Everything will be gone. Uh So don't take it too seriously. Just try to have fun with it. Yeah. Like, just to boot this game up and and have you a Mountain Dew or have you an adult beverage or whatever you're going to do, just just zone in. Just have a good time. Don't worry about the G-Virus. Don't worry about uh, that time Chris punched the boulder until the boss says something <laughs> about it. Don't worry about how that's so weird that he would even know that factoid. Like, you don't... Don't worry about it. Just have fun. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, okay, so this I agree with everything you said, but it's kind of funny because the game is a little bit meta and a little bit self-referential. Like the moment, there's a moment where Heisenberg calls Chris a boulder-punching asshole. Um, and it's, it's really funny because it's like, oh, okay, they know that that was stupid. 
they're kind of copying to knowing what the series is and how the story works. And I think that that's the kind of part where it's like, yeah, everything you're saying is true. But funny enough, right after that, they actually do some good and interesting character work and they pay off a bunch of things from Resident Evil 7 and 8. And when that stuff happened, which we're going to talk about in like five seconds, that's when I was like, okay, this game is much smarter than any other Resident Evil game not just because it does something with the characters and events and scenarios that it's set up, but also because it does something while recognizing that nothing matters, it's just a fun video game, a lot of the people are going to be playing it while blasted off of, you know, Mountain Dew and rum or whatever, yeah. and it's just supposed to, like, flash in front of your eyes and make you feel good. You know, and the fact that it can balance that with some actual story and character work is like, oh shit, that's, that's the good shit. You know what I mean? It's like, once again, to bring yeah. it back to John Wick, the artfulness of John Wick <laughs> is what makes it so great. Cause it's like, of course it's splashy and it's fun to look at and blah, blah, blah. But you're like, dude, this is like fucking ballet. Except at the end, every guy, but one has a bullet somewhere in his body. Yeah. I think that's also another big reason why I think a little, a more of a drip feed of story would have been nice. Yeah. Because, you know, by the end of this, they've shown that they can do, anything interesting honestly yeah yeah and it would have been nicer to get at least that specific thing a little not more spaced out because i don't like water it down but just more of it yeah because i think if it was spaced out through the game a little better i wouldn't have to deal with quite the amount of like ethan just loathing on my timelines all my timelines every single one people just (laughs) just moaning about this dude yeah and i'm like do you y'all didn't play the game did you you haven't even played it <laughs> you haven't finished let alone it. beat it yeah so i think yeah i, th- I think if they would have you know kind of been a little more mindful with that he would have gotten a, a, a better reputation yeah i think that's true and i think there's some other missed opportunities too like with chris um i think anyone who plays video games has learned to like appreciate uh kind of a nemesis or a frenemy that drops in and out of your story like uh you know your rival in pokemon or the young turks from final fantasy 7 which very insensitive name actually looking back on it but it is what it is um that's for all 10 people who know who the young turks are in the historical context i thought for a second after you said young turks i thought that was like a like a rap group or something. <laughs> no, the Young Turks were a militia. Once again, you can Google it. I'm not, I don't want to talk about it. Anyway, point is people have gotten <laughs> used on. to that kind of like frenemy in a video game. Uh, yeah. And I think there was an opportunity to kind of make Chris that, but you basically only run into him. Well, you see him at the beginning and he's like a villain. You run into him halfway through the game and he's still pretty much a villain and then you see him again at the end and suddenly he's like your ally um yeah there was an there was an opportunity there to do something interesting and also to make chris a character beyond just like he big he mad um and they didn't they didn't take it yeah he shows a he shows a little sadness here a little regret but mostly he is just like being gruff and and slamming his fist into stuff or whatever (laughs) yeah for sure um not the greatest but it's a step in a better direction yeah oh yeah for sure 
but okay, so I want I want to talk about what happens next in the story because this is where things get really interesting. So mm-hmm. Chris discovers the underground um, dungeon. Also notable, there's no lab in this game. We we mentioned that earlier, but I just want to point out again: there's no lab. There isn't even really much of an underground. Uh, that's cool. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some comments saying that Heisenberg's area is quote unquote basically a lab. I don't. No, I don't buy that. I don't agree. Um, but you know, whatever. You, you do. You do get. You do walk into a, a laboratory. You could say you do walk into a room that could be considered that. Yeah. But but it's like in the classic Resident Evil style of like a whole extra area with maps that is the secret lab. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not here. Not here. But yeah. So, you know, in the back of that room, Chris finds Mia and they kind of like, you know, reunite. And after that, well, and so that confirms for you that, yeah, there is still a real Mia is not dead. Chris doesn't expect her to be there. Yeah. He's trying to get out and he stumbles across her. Right. And he's just like, come on, we got to go. Yeah. And she doesn't want to go because she wants to know what happened to Ethan or they have to go get Ethan. And this is where Chris says he's gone or whatever he says. And she just stops and reveals that she knows that he can't possibly be dead. Uh-huh. Because he's different. Right. And then you get a you get a fade to black fade into Ethan's purgatory world. Yeah. So, yeah, he's basically in a weird dreamlike other world. He encounters the little girl from Resident Evil 7 who's like basically the the representation of the ooze, you know? And this is when the, the game soul of the ooze. Yeah. <laughs> This is when the game does its big, huge twist reveal that actually Ethan died basically at the beginning of Resident Evil 7 and the ooze resurrected him. So he's basically half shark alligator, half man, just a walking ooze bot. Uh, And that is why he can take all the damage when that part gets explained does she say that jack killed both of them and they both got resurrected or was it just him it's just him um okay yeah because she was already may have misunderstood yeah because the girl was kind of always this supernatural entity but well no i mean mia oh mia like I thought like I thought that like I for some reason the implication I got from that was that he shows up to get Mia and at some point in being there Jack kills both of you and you get you get resurrected by mm. mold. I actually don't know. I think Cause, I, I mean cuz I know you you vaccinate her or yeah. whatever in 7 but um I don't she was all super powered. So I thought Rose's whole thing was because they both are special well no i so i think i think what happened and i'll accept that i could be slightly wrong about the details here is basically mia in resident evil 7 is kept in the basement of their house she gets the virus from the ooze and is basically like an ooze monster for most of the game but obviously near to the end you vaccinate her and so in resident evil 8 she's like a normal human ethan however 
uh, in the beginning of the game, when Jack knocks you out and takes you in the house, he actually kills you. The only reason you wake up at that Texas Chainsaw dinner scene near the beginning of the game is because the ooze has resurrected you, and so now he is basically a monster, which explains why they were able to just staple his hand back on, or why he could just put his hand back on in this game. Basically why they're able to completely mangle his hands like they do across both games. Um, And the reason that Rose is different is because he's her dad and he's not human. So Rose is probably like half human or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But half human, half sentient ooze monster. This is the main thing I want to talk about because I love this. I love that they did this because in since Resident Evil 7, I was like, I don't think Ethan's human. I think Ethan has the virus and is not human anymore. Um, and as like that game progressed, I got more and more frustrated that they wouldn't address the fact that they just staple his hand back on, that he like can't die, and that he definitely came into contact with this disease. I was like so frustrated, you know? I was like, how are they just gonna mm-hmm. leave this hanging? So then eight starts and it's even more over the top with all the, the mm-hmm. violence that, you know, and it's not just his hands. Obviously that's become kind of like a, a meme of like how they just like destroy Ethan's hands. But well, it's also cause it's first person and that's like the most immediate right. thing that you can find to like show but, damage to, I think. Yeah. He just gets the shit kicked out of him and shot and everything. Mm, like, yeah. The whole game, like it's so, out of control that and I said when I was like a third of the way through it in the discord I was like I'm loving this game but I really hope they explain why Ethan can take all this damage and yeah it turns out they do and it's a really really good twist and it's a really really good reveal and that's what I was kind of talking about a minute, a minute ago that's like I think that shows a lot of sophistication that they kind of set something up in one game and paid it off in another. And that sounds simple, but that's very sophisticated for resident evil, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was just nice to, I, I think it was easy to feel like a lot of seven might've been maybe not throwaway, but just, just tied to that game specifically and to never be addressed again, the way some things from other games kind of never really get dealt with. Right. So it was nice to see, uh, What's her name? Ava, Evie? Whatever. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Evelyn. Evelyn. Yeah. L- the little the Samara. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah, her. The girl with the Dot Martins. Yeah. It's good to see her again. That was that was kind of a neat. He's shambling around the frozen wastes of hell, talking about how he has to save his daughter, and she's just saying, you're dead over and over and giggling. And Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, then, and then you do wait. You do wake up. Yeah. So, and we talked about comes too. Yeah. We talked about this last time, but yeah, basically you wake up, you fight mother Miranda, really good boss fight. Uh, you rescue your daughter. Uh, but of course, Chris basically set like a nuke to explode. (laughs) Cause that's just like Mm -hmm. what he does. Uh, and so you guys are running to escape, but he basically gives Chris his daughter and he's like, just leave. I'll stay here and set off the bomb. You guys get out of here. And um, they do. And that's what happens. And Ethan basically sacrifices himself. I thought that part of the reason he did that was because 
the the ooze is no longer capable of regenerating him. Mm. Yeah, because because there's a moment where he like looks down his his hand starts to do the same thing that uh like a lot of the well, I guess all the enemies do it. Um, but it's it's usually more cinematic when like you fight a boss and they turn to ash or crystallized dust or whatever it is right. and they kind of you know they they crystallize and then they turn to a pile of whatever like right. he starts to do that so the implication is that he's taken too much damage that like the heart ripping out thing was just like the final straw yeah and he knows that and so he's you know he is, you know, sacrificing himself, but he knows he's on extremely borrowed time anyways. Yeah. And well, and I think there's also... There's at least a surefire way to get his daughter out, and, and I guess he... Well, he knows Mia's okay, because Chris has, like, pleaded with him to keep going, because yeah. Mia's still alive and all that stuff. Yeah. So he knows that he can see his wife again, but he chooses to to make sure they all get out safely. And it's kind of, it kind of hit. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. No, yeah. It's it's actually really sad and it's actually kind of affecting. I thought it was really good. It's like, oh, damn. That's really sad. Because also, like, you now have played this character for two games. You do have a little bit of attachment to him. That reveal is so cool because it, like, actually makes you think about the events of the game. Actually, all the reveals are because, like, we were talking about last time how the early scene with like you and Mia is super weird and uncomfortable. And it's like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Cause that wasn't her. And then later it's like, and you're not even you. <laughs> like, I think there's an existential thing for him yeah. where he's like, okay, so Chris just like planted a nuke to fucking destroy all of this shit here. I'm part of it. Like, why wouldn't I need to go as well? You know, which I thought was like, that was like a nice touch. So, yeah, the first time you see them interact, like you're booting up the game for the first time. If you have any experience with an unhealthy relationship, it just feels like they have an extremely unhealthy relationship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you go back and you play the second time, it's clear that maybe they had some prior, they've just had trouble adjusting to all the freakish shit that happened to them. Yeah. But like, there's a there is a like an air of cattiness to everything, specifically because his wife is like a psycho person yeah. in disguise. Yeah, um, which is super weird. And yeah, like him, him definitively dying. Definitely, like after all that, kind of yeah, it hits because. I kind of like his voice actor. Like I've liked his like goofy presence this whole time. Yeah. And like you kind of go from two games of him just kind of delivering goofy responses and quips here and there to kind of having like a really real character moment. Yeah. Which is also his final character moment. Yeah. And like, so like the, just the finality of it really like really just you know it 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 fucked me up i don't know maybe i'm in a compromised state right now (laughs) no it it hit for me too i thought it was it was actually like emotional and yeah i think and i think it's so out of character for the series because we just haven't seen it before but 
it's like a really nice change. I mean, we were talking about that in the Silent Hill 3 episode a couple weeks ago. Um, that like, it's a shame that more series don't try to have like a relatable protagonist with an understandable goal. And so I was saying, even sometimes characters that are sort of goofy and off the wall, they can still work in that context because it's like, well, they're kind of snarky and weird. So I identify with them and they have like a clear cut, simple goal. So like Evil Within 2 is a great example, you know, because it's like Sebastian is just a weirdo and he's really funny. And in that game, he's just like, once again, I want to find my daughter, you know? And so it's like, oh yeah, like that's an understandable human aim, you know? And that's just like such a step up from a normal Resident Evil game where you can't understand any character or what they want or why they do anything. That's because they don't have any reason to do anything. They're they're (laughs) cops. Yeah. They're cops, guys. They're cops. (laughs) Um, It's definitely not the most creative story at its core. Like, it's a very, like, tried and true plot device. Sure. But, you know, but it works. There's a reason it works. And... It's interesting to see it, you know, applied to a series that, I, you know, I think the deepest it's ever gone with this sort of stuff is usually the very generic, like, random stars guy. It's like, you know, I'll, you, you go, you go. Yeah. And you don't even know who that dude is. He's just the guy what had the bandana on. Yeah. Or let me rephrase. He's guy he's bandana guy too uh-huh. because his covers his whole head instead of it's like a forehead yeah like rainbow thing <laughs> and that's like all you know about him yeah no and totally like that doesn't really that doesn't mean anything to you right yeah and so to see you know a basic tale of of loss and love and revenge i guess kind of sort of mm-hmm. sacrifice it's a it's a little more interesting when you've had some hours with the character mm-hmm. or at least it works a little better. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think once again, to compare it to evil within, you know, the storytelling in the evil within is definitely not its strong suits, but like evil within two was so great because it took things that were set up in the first game and questions that the player would have and it answers them. And you, you have to acknowledge the weight and the power of that because like, if you've just been caught in this crazy nonsense story with all these weird touches and you're just like, Oh, I wonder this, I wonder this, I wonder this. And then like a sequel can actually explore those things. You can give you those answers. That's awesome. And that is good storytelling. Even if like you're saying, it's not very creative. It's not the most like beautiful, artful shit, but it's like, well, that's good though. And that is like what I want, especially from a game where most of the time I'm just like shooting werewolves. It's like, Oh, okay. Some real (laughs) shit at the end. I'll take it. I'll gladly take it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that in mind and just keeping in mind, I'm sure all the different kinds of criticism this game's gotten so far. I think the thing people don't really keep in mind when talking about video games specifically is that sometimes no specific part of a game has to be like just rock solid because it's pretty much the only medium that has so many different points that it can kind of use other ones as a crutch. Sure. Because you've got visuals and you have the interactive part of it and you've got 
sound design and you've got story and you have music and you you pretty much have every form of media that has been created since mm -hmm. modern civilization in one place so if one's kind of lacking that's not like a it's not like a breaking point for me, I don't think. Yeah. And so that's why it's so heinous and weird that people get so caught up on a story making sense or a character being a certain way because that's not the, the only thing you're focusing on. Right. There's a ton of stuff to focus on, and as long as enough of it holds up, it's, it's good enough in my book anyway. Yeah. And so, yeah, even if the story isn't, just like this earth-shattering narrative, it's fine because they made a game that looks really good, it plays really good, it has good systems. Mm -hmm. So you don't... You, you, you have to give them a little credit for just making like a passable story this time instead of just throwing proper nouns at you Yeah, and killing people you don't care about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think right at the end, it even takes a left turn into like, oh, this is good. <laughs> so I give it I give it a lot of props. And, you know, we talked about in the Resident Evil 6 episode that like there's just so many weird expectations and things that people map onto this series that it's really impossible to keep up with it all. So I'm definitely not surprised by some of the criticism of this game that I've read. Uh, and I'm not even really upset by it because it's just like this is just what y'all are going to do. It's fine, but oh, yeah. I do want to just sit here and be like, I, I actually think it's great. I think they did a great job, and even with the plot holes and, and the dumb shit, which we fully acknowledged, it's like, you know, overall this worked really well. The pacing's really good. It keeps it moving. Like I said earlier, it's a very effective video game. It keeps you playing, keeps you wanting to play, and yeah, has some good character and story moments. I, I just really can't ask for more than that. Yeah, and I think it says a lot if like really the biggest complaint that you can have is there's just some plot holes because they are clearly trying to find a new jumping off point for this entire series right after what 20 how many years 20 it's been 20 years 25 it's years? like 25 so, yeah yeah since it started yeah so like you can't reinvent just that big of a franchise perfectly in one game yeah because I wouldn't even say seven was like the reinvention. It was it was an experiment, but I think this game feels more like where they really figured out how they were what they wanted to do and how they were going to do it. Yeah. And so if there's there's just going to be some hiccups along the way, I think. Um, well, sure, but I like I've kind of been arguing this whole time, and I'll just keep hammering on it that it's like I think if you break this down to its component parts and compare it to seven. Seven, is, as the reboot of the series, this is the continuation where they do everything better. You know, like everything in eight yeah. is done similar to how they did it in seven, but just way, way, way better. Like even little shit, right? Like at the end, there is a song. In seven, they had a weird knockoff like Evanescence song. And in this game, they have a weird <laughs> knockoff Bjork song. And it's great. It's a great knockoff Bjork song. Uh, okay, that's interesting you bring that point up though. So do you think that the way two was like the perfect realization of everything one sought to be do you think that's like 
seven and eight. Oh, hundred percent. I didn't think of that. Yeah, when you put the two games side by side, it's like, oh, they're not that much different on paper. Like I said, if you listed everything that happens in the game and you broke down all the component parts, you would say, oh, these two games are, they look like they're the same, but then the actual experience of playing them, the minutia, the details, they're so much different. And I think that's kind of the big takeaway is like in eight, I think everything comes together so well that it's like a masterpiece. It's just a great game. It's insanely fun to play. It's really just great to experience. And so everything just comes together really well. I think in seven, as I broke down in a very, very detailed fashion in that episode, it's like the opposite. There's all these cool ideas. There's all this great stuff in it. It just doesn't come together. And there's just too many big things that stop it from being this like great work, you know? I think it says so much about eight that the the gameplay loop like keeps you wanting to go through it after you've done it. Yeah. Between the mercenaries and like the the, the credit pointing system and all that stuff. Like it I I I've never I I've replayed a lot of Resident Evil games and it's usually driven more by like just wanting to revisit like the nostalgia of it or something. Right. Um but like as soon as I finished it, I wanted to start replaying it. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the second I was done with it, like I had a million reasons to go back through it. And I mean, at the core of it, it was just because it's a fun game to play. Yeah, no, for sure. Which I can't. I don't know if I've been able to say that in like a really long time about these games. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like I broke down much earlier in this episode, it's like there's just nuts and bolts things about Seven that are just not fun. And I think the the two to one comparison, you know, versus seven to eight or eight to seven, I mean, that's actually a really good comparison in that regard, too, because like I've played every mainline Resident Evil game at least more than once, right? Like at least twice, if not more. And there are very clearly within that series games that I keep coming back to and I want to replay over and over and over and then there are ones that I'm just not super interested in Um, and I think this game absolutely has that quality of like I want to keep playing it over and over and over which 2 has absolutely I've played 2 so many so many times but the original game is one that it's just a little too rough around the edges for me to have played it as many times as I've played 2 you know like there are things that get in the way and so yeah I think this is going to be one of those games like Resident Evil 4 like Resident Evil 2 where you just want to replay it over and over and over you know just because it's fun and they just did it they just did the thing and they fucking nailed it in light of the numerical entries into this whole franchise yeah I want to bring up uh, a story point that happens after the things we just brought up right as it may relate to the greater Resident Evil franchise so as they're escaping um, wherever this is in Eastern Europe and their helicopter and their their big military military helicopter um, and you got Mia screaming where's Ethan and then it goes boom yeah uh, one of Chris's goons I don't remember if it's the man that had like 16 night vision goggles on his head or <laughs> yeah. not but that dude was cool um, Spam Fisher he, he's like oh you gotta you gotta come see this and it's like a Zamboni dude. 
like he he lifts up the corpse of what was apparently supposed to be BSAA soldiers, right? Who is the organization that Chris has worked for, and you know all the games past like four that I guess he's no longer affiliated with. So they like lift this dude up, and the guy's like, he's a bio weapon. Yeah, and I I know we like to rag on that aspect of the series. But I was at least immediately intrigued by, like, where they were going to go with that. Yeah. yeah. But it seemed like such a, like, an- ancillary, ancillary? Yeah. How do you say it? Yeah. Um, part of the story that I immediately wonder between that and, like, the little nighttime Call of Duty segment you get as Chris. Like, are they going to make, like, a Revelation-style side story series that's going to deal with whatever that is or is this just like they're giving you a little crumb that'll feed into like the continuing like in, into nine because there's more to discuss with where the story's going to go yeah I'm actually really not sure about that I'm with you it's like oh yeah because right at the end you get a bunch of that Chris military stuff which i was not expecting because it's just not in the game you know um yeah. you get a bunch of it and that scene too feels like it's out of resident evil 6 or something it's like you know obviously because ethan's gone it's a not a first person cutscene. um it's, it has this weird turn at the end where it's like well are they just acknowledging that the series has done this or is this kind of where they're going um I don't really know. But after that, there's also the post credits where it's like, okay, Rose, you know, Ethan's daughter, Ethan, Mia's daughter grows up to be like a government agent basically. And so it's like, Oh yeah. Like, are they going to do a more like military out resident evil nine? And that's going to be the next chapter in the series. Like what's that going to be like? I don't know. I mean, I'm curious because like, I'm I'm going to reserve any judgments because going into this game, I thought it was going to suck and it is amazing. So it's like, all right, you yeah. know what? You guys do whatever the fuck you want. I don't know. I'll just, I'll play the next one. <laughs> well, there's some important stuff to pull apart in that final scene. I mean, number one, the, f- like the immediate thing I thought once, like she is actually stepped out. Cause she's like, in a, she's on a bus or something at the start of it. Like when she steps out, it, do you remember the end of the Leon campaign for sex when they're like in a graveyard or something? No. And it's like him and Helena and, uh, and the radio lady. What's her name? Hunnigan. Yeah. They're like all standing outside like this, like, like it looks like a scene from like independence day. Okay. Like they're in like some like presidential funeral looking shit. I don't, it just immediately reminded me like the, like the shots, like the, the angle uh-huh. of the shot and the coloration and everything was, just, I don't know. It, yeah. It had that knock. It kind of gave me whiplash when I saw that. Yeah. It has that knockoff Hollywood vibe that Resident Evil six mm-hmm. cops like so heavily, but yeah, it's like the same camera angles, the same setting as you've seen in like tons of movies of like someone going to a graveyard to visit a grave in a blockbuster movie. Yeah. Yeah, so she's on this bus and she gets off to, you pretty quickly figure out she's going to Ethan's grave, um, which she clearly visits regularly. But while she's there, government man shows up 
and yeah. she begrudgingly returns with him. But as she's walking up, this dude's got a guy in his earpiece talking about how he's ready to take the shot. Yeah. And it's it's like they clearly have like a not good relationship. Like she does not want to be there. Yeah. And the dude tries to give her attitude by calling her the name of the little girl from seven. Yeah. And she just says, I can do things to you that even Chris doesn't know I can do. Yeah. Which was like extremely threatening and <laughs> yeah. like big. That was huge dick energy. <laughs> that was bioweapon uh, dick energy right there. That was massive. Yeah. But, you know, she gets in the car and she immediately regrets doing that for yeah. some reason. We don't know what. Um, and they drive off. And then as they're driving off it, like the camera just holds and they drive pretty far down the road and then they stop and someone else gets in the car. And I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know if that meant anything. I don't know if that was supposed to be the dude on the guy's comms or if that was supposed to be like someone of importance. Yeah, I don't really know. The whole thing had a weird vibe to it. Yeah, that left me extremely curious for where they're going to take things. Because at face value, there's so much like goofy. It, like it felt like five and six in a way, right? And so my like gut reaction was like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna take it anime like anime style again. They're gonna go with all the crazy giant enemies, and she's gonna have superpowers. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. After what's happened with eight, maybe it's a more muted, grounded experience while maintaining some of that fantastical shit. Yeah. I mean, the two things I'll say about it that why I kind of got excited because I agree with you. It looks much more Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil 6, you know, Call of Duty, whatever kind of shit. But like (laughs) if Resident Evil 8 proved anything to me, it's two things. Number one, they know how to continue a story now. And that's a big distinction because the original games did not know for the life of them how to continue a story like it's so broken and disjointed when you map out who the characters are in each game and where they went after each game it looks like the pepe silvia board like (laughs) it's so absurd but eight proved that it's like no we can actually do a focused narrative that goes from one to another it's still not you know super narrative heavy it's not genius level shit but it you know, it sets things up and it pays them off. It's like, okay, cool. If they want to keep this winter's lineage going in these games, I'm all into it. That sounds cool. The other thing is that, and this was my prediction, my optimistic prediction for Resident Evil 8, as opposed to my pessimistic prediction was that it was going to be Van Helsing starring Hugh Jackman. Um, <laughs> was that my optimistic prediction was that they were going to go full dumb magical realism like they were gonna basically set it up so that you know the ooze or whatever can do whatever it wants it can make anything happen it's essentially magic so they can use it to explore any time period or aesthetic or whatever they want to do and that's a hundred percent what eight was and if they keep that vibe going i'm like super super happy Cause like, that's what I want. I want resident evil to be like mountain dew, magical realism. 
and for them to just keep <laughs> churning out these like ridiculous ideas that are kind of dumb on paper, but that really work in a super well-made video game. I never thought about it until you said it, but so the what what I in my brain consider the core good Resident Evil games are one through three, and I never really thought about how those first three games all take place on the same night. Uh-huh. It's it's all supposed to be this like is it is it all parallel? Is it not? When is it happening? Like the good ones are all locked in that one night, and then. You know, they set up the end of the game as like, well, they just nuke the town right. because of the zombies and they couldn't do anything else. Right. And then that's where the whole series goes off the rails because they're like, well, what do we do? How many times can we just go back to Raccoon City as it's on fire? We can't. Right. We have to go somewhere else. And like, that's where they took it. And it just kind of got progressively worse from there. Right. And four is only a good game in light of all that because of the the gameplay more than anything i wouldn't say that <laughs> anything about that story or its characters is particularly compelling no my whole defense of the game was that you just should not pay attention to it you made a, a pretty excellent point yeah but it's nice to it's nice to get to a point where you you can pay attention to it like you're encouraged yeah. to pay attention to it and you you get something out of it instead of just uh, it's it doesn't matter. You can replace any proper noun with anything else. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably replace half of the terms in Resident Evil with like Dragon Ball Z terms and it wouldn't matter. Yeah, for sure. It'd all be the same shit at the end of the fucking day. Yeah, exactly. Well, and one thing about 8, I think this is probably the highest compliment I can pay to this game, is that even on my second play, I watched most of the cutscenes. And... I think it's because A, the story is more compelling, and B, the pacing is good. The cutscenes aren't too long, they're entertaining, they're well made. And so it's like, yeah, I'll I'll watch this. It's like 15 seconds long or whatever, it's 30 seconds long tops. It's like, yeah, sure, I'll watch it. And I thought that was such a change from like my last play of Resident Evil 4. I actually played that twice for that episode, because I kind of just played it again after because I love that game. Um when I started playing it on PC to record some of it and I thought I couldn't skip cutscenes, I was like mortified. I was like actually <laughs> losing my mind. I was like almost feeling like I was gonna just just like freak out. Cause I was like, there's no way I can get through this game if I can't like skip every cutscene. And that's one of my favorite that's probably my favorite in the series. So it's like eight is the, you know, we've come a long way, baby moment for this series, I think. Yeah, and maybe that's why I liked, or one of the reasons I liked it so much is like, I think that the pretty much the whole span of the village part of four, like I love the feel of it. Like the setting's really yeah. good, and I liked the codex style, like walkie-talkie scene. Yeah, thing is like your only point of contact to the outside world is a little that little you know tonigan on a little screen. Yeah, like all that was really neat, and I think the story bits were at least like kind of at least interesting at that point before they started trying to explain any of it. Right. Um, and then it goes t- just totally off off the rails, and it's like I kind of checked out. Yeah. After that, um, and none of the areas after that were quite as interesting to me. But eight kind of like realizes 
that first chunk of four. Yeah, well, and I've I definitely have said this before, and I'll say it again. That beginning chunk of four, like study that shit. That is such mm-hmm. good game design. Like even to the point of it feeling like it's open world or something because you can backtrack a little bit and there's these long like languid sections of exploration that are like super vibey and super atmospheric it's like oh man that is so good and yeah like so many different parts of this game feel like they're modeled after that or like they're pulling from that yeah it's great it's great like it, it recognizes the series history. It does a lot with things that set up in the past, but it feels very fresh and new and different. Like when a series like this does a game like this, this is what I want. Like, this is what I want it to be. I just don't, you know, I don't even know what to say. What else is there to say? I think that's it, dude. I, I think, think it's like one of the, I think it's one of the best games of at least the past five years. Oh, big, big time. And I I will, you know, I I don't put a lot of energy into what psychos on the internet have to say, but I am going to be a little, I'm going to be a little disappointed if kind of like the the gaming world at large doesn't, doesn't take to this game. I mean, so far, the people who I don't think are total idiots have recognized what the game's doing sure so that's good yeah but and yeah i don't know I, I, there's been a million discussions on the show before about um the popularity of survival horror and how that kind of puts like a like a soft cap on on how big it can really get but you know if i i don't want the discussion in this game to sort of be be capped at all we can talk about is how Lady D is like a feminist icon or whatever, <laughs> or the field of the field of view being too narrow or like any of that shit. Like, I think there's a lot to talk about here. And I feel like so far, all I've seen is just kind of pointless nagging yeah. about stuff that doesn't really matter. And no one talking about the stuff that does. Sure. And like at best people are just saying like, Oh, it's good. Oh, like, you know, it's fun to do all the, you know, exploration stuff. Or, oh, it has a little hub area and that's cool. Or, oh, it feels kind of like one of the old games or this character's neat. Like, it's not, I haven't seen a lot of like really good discourse about it, about all the important stuff it's doing. So, yeah. Gonna get a little, gonna get a little cheesed if that doesn't happen <laughs> outside of this. Uh, five-hour discussion or however long (laughs) it's fucking been. Yeah, I mean, I think, though, that this game is ultimately going to end up being very important because it is kind of like Capcom taking what's sort of always been the biggest franchise in horror games and restoring it back into that, like, pole position of, like, blockbuster games, you know, regardless of the genre, but it is, like, a blockbuster horror game. It's cutting edge. It's one of the first truly next gen games. It had a ton of buzz, a ton of hype. It's like such a huge release game. Sales are just like absolutely nutso. And so I think that they are going to run with this and run with this direction because they have, and it's also clear that they're learning from each game they make. Like Resident Evil 2 Remake was better than Resident Evil 7. Resident Evil 3 Remake was better than that. And this is better than all those games. Like, they're kind of like going down a path 
And I think it's good because when we talked about Resident Evil 5, we talked about, and 6 to a lesser extent, like how that lack of confidence really hurt the design of those games because they were just tracing, chasing trends as opposed to this, which is just like, nope, here it is. This is the game. Fucking play it. And so many people are playing it that I think, sure, the people who are complaining about shit really loudly and saying it sucks and whatever, like, they're just not going to be that important to the discourse about the game long term. I think if we've learned anything, it's that right when a game comes out, a bunch of people have to talk shit on it, whether it's good or not, you know? And then later we can sort out (laughs) if the game was good or not. Yeah. So if they've more or less sort of perfected their new vision for the series and their like idea of what uh, action horror game is, uh, how much of an influence do you think that this is going to have on things going down the line, do you think? Because you talked about, you know, hide ups maybe being on the decline. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is, in the way that it can be really hard to make a compelling game like that, do you think that maybe this style of gameplay is going to be easier for developers like that to mimic and create like a maybe not like a like a truly great game but like a at least a fun like decent like five hour game yeah trying to create then trying to like see if they can like put some new energy into like a really old style of gameplay that is the walking sim or a a hide them up yeah I think it will or I guess that's more like I hope it will because to me the big point that you could take away from this game as a game designer is that you can have action and you can have traditional game elements in your game and it can still be a really really good horror experience like People are still going to make hide-em-ups and people are still going to make great games without combat. And I want them to because I love those games, like probably more than anything, but like uh, in the gaming world, not more than like, you know. Oh, yeah. We need to chill sometimes. So just being able to walk around and go in a locker is uh, sometimes preferable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And so like we're still going to get those kind of games, but I think for maybe some people who, like you're saying, are kind of like... Maybe just trying to, oh, like trend chase a little bit. Like, oh, let's make a hide em up. Let's do this and that. Or like, oh, we can't put in combat because then it won't be like a, a scary game. I think that like this game kind of shows you some cool tricks and some cool ideas for how you can have combat, actually very good, engaging combat, and how you can balance it out with the aesthetics and with sections where you don't do that and sections that are just pure you know, hide em up type gameplay and still have it all be the same game and still have it all be cohesive. So like, you know, like another game that does that really well, I think is Dusk, but I think Dusk hit people so squarely as a first person shooter that, Mm -hmm. you know, people weren't really paying attention to that. And that was kind of my point in that episode. I was just like, I don't know why you guys keep saying this is a Quake clone, because like, it's not. It's a survival horror game, and it kind of gets like walking sim-ish towards the end. And so I think this game is like that, but it's just much more overt about what it is. Like, there's a part where you can't shoot. There's a part where you're just exploring, and it's tense and scary. Like, all that stuff is very explicitly in the game, you know. So I hope people take influence from that. Do you think we'll get some uh, DLC? Do you think that they'll kind of take this like patchwork? 
like zoned gameplay philosophy into we're gonna get some some extra story bits that are kind of like a like a walking sim game more like they're like the the dollhouse or we'll get like a second one that's a little more chris call of duty section where you get to yeah roll out with like a machine gun because i they did some dlc for seven right oh they did a lot of dlc for seven okay because i only i just played the the main game me too but i've i've at least checked out like what the dlc is and a there's a ton of it b it all looks like doo-doo um let's be clear about that (laughs) uh fair enough i guess hit me up gamers listeners if you're like oh actually this one's good and i should check it out i'll check it out um it all looked pretty whack to me so they did a ton for seven i don't think they did they do any for two and three remake like actual co- like gameplay content DLC. No, I think there was just a lot of like costumes, and, you know, that kind of like yeah, downloadable content, but not yeah. expansions or like story stuff. I think it was all just kind of fun stuff you right. could buy. Right, and or like and the, you, know, you could do like the soundtrack patching for the old soundtrack and all that stuff. Yeah, and I I did that. I I shamefully admit to actually giving them five dollars for that. I was really excited. Okay, and I had a, a that's I had a steady that's job. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Five bucks for, for that kind of enjoyment is pretty pretty solid, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also because the the modern soundtrack in that game is kind of ass, so I just wanted to hear the old songs. Um, I mean, I'll admit I pay five bucks for like the Resident Evil Four um, typewriter screen music. Oh sure. For like for parts of like Village or something. Yeah, for that'd sure. Be, that'd be tight. I pay for that. Yeah, I mean, with three remake, they dropped the uh, weird multiplayer thing, um, and they're gonna drop another multiplayer thing. It's in open beta right now, um, but I've been kind of waiting for it to reach some sort of finish state, just because of how bad that other one was, you know. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I'm curious to see if they do more like story content DLC because I would like to see it. I mean, unlike in 7, where I was kind of done with the game and none of it looked very good, I would at least be curious to see what they do with this game because I think this game is so yeah. good. But, yeah. No, I, I kind of hope they do, actually. Once again, there's a first time for everything. There's a first time for me buying and enjoying DLC. So, uh, I'll try it. Yeah. If this game can do it. Yeah, I'm if ready. anyone can do it. But we'll yeah. see. That's like the attitude I have is that's just what I'm going to be thinking now. If anybody can do it, it'll be it'll be Capcom. Can't believe I'm saying it. After everything <laughs> they've put me through. All these bad RE games. No Mega yeah. Man's. No Mega Man content. None. Maybe they're on the upswing in a way that Konami will never be. Yeah, Konami is just a distant memory. You're lucky. You're lucky I didn't ask you if you think that Konami will make a new Silent Hill game based on how good this game is. <laughs> oh, well, actually, I know I was that's on, what the listeners want to hear about. I was on r slash Silent Hill, and I read that it's in development. No. Actually. Why would you go there? <laughs> twenty twenty one update. Apparently, there's a leaked document. No, I don't know. There's every day. There's more. <laughs> Has anyone ever gone like made a Photoshop of the Silent Hill movie panel where she walks into Silent Hill or whatever, but instead of just Silent Hill on the board, it says R slash Silent Hill and I posted it there. <laughs> uh, Is like anyone there bold enough to make fun of everyone that goes there to that point? Yeah. 
I think what would be a better Photoshop is if uh, it's like the scene where Pyramid Head is attacking them and he's like sending a bunch of like insects in like through the hole in the door they cut (laughs) except all the insects are tiny posts that say new Silent Hill question mark. (laughs) They love that new Silent Hill when shit though. (laughs) Just workshop and Silent Hill memes on the on air. (laughs) The real shit. Oh god. Not on main. Not on main. (laughs) 